Playoff time, baby. I'm Adam Ruffner. This is Swing Pass. I'm joined as always by Daniel Cohen, my co-host. Daniel, how's it going? Playoffs. We're Playoffs. here. We made it. I, it's surreal almost that like the season is winding down and, and we're actually at the point where teams can get eliminated. I'm I'm very excited. Well, a whole host of teams have been eliminated all <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. Teams are done with their season, except for these two rescheduled games they have this weekend, which can just get swept under a rug a little bit. But we have the West Division championship game on Saturday night. Uh, Dallas heading to San Diego to take on the Growlers. And then on Sunday evening, we have the Central Division championship game where Minnesota will travel to take on the Chicago Union. Uh, The winner of both those games will get a berth to championship weekend, which will be September 10th and 11th at Audi Field in Washington, D.C. You can get those tickets now at theaudl.com. You can check the social media feeds. All Championship Weekend stuff is available now. Super exciting. Yeah, like you're saying, we're here. Like the the end of the road is like within <laughs> eyesight now. Like that's it's time. That's crazy. So let's get into kind of the, the first matchup, San Diego and Dallas. Uh, that's been really good. The... The season was split one-to-one. Dallas had a slight head-to-head advantage because they won by five? Four. 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 And San Diego won by one in their first meeting. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that San Diego overall, given their performance in the first game, looked a little bit better in this year's matchup. But obviously, Dallas won their first-ever meeting in the 2019 semifinals. They won the most recent meeting. They've been to four straight championship weekends. They have this incredible playoff experience. For my money, I think I'm still liking the Roughnecks a little bit heading into tomorrow night. But as we just learned, San Diego activating a former MVP who they had signed midseason in what at the time seemed like a one-game exhibition sort of fling thing. Um San Diego now activating Jonathan Nethercut for the playoffs. Uh, we we've kind of been brawling about this all morning, but like, <laughs> what do you think about this development? What you watched that game uh, that Nethercut played in for the Growlers earlier this year? You really liked how he looked then. I'm a little concerned for this kind of late season level of addition, but Nethercut is obviously one of those talents where it's like, how do you deny adding him to your team? Like, when do you? What team ever says, no, no, you can't come play with us this weekend, John Nethercut? You know, like... <clears throat> right. I mean, but Raleigh kind of did that in 2019. You know, they... they he did. was kind of like... He was kind of, you know, not totally on the roster all season and, like, in the process of, of, you know, his last season with the Flyers, but played a few games here and there. And he was available for that playoff game that Raleigh played against Dallas, but they left him the inactive. Yeah. And I get it. Like they, at the time, their offense was clicking really well. It when you introduce a player like Nethercut, there is definitely an element of like, how will he mesh with the system? Do you if like I feel like with Raleigh, it was like a if it ain't broke, don't fix it type of thing, where their mm-hmm. offense was just totally fine without him. But yeah, I mean, he kind of has that presence where he can kind of shape an offense around him and like players kind of have to 
adjust accordingly to account for his play style. But in the first game we saw from him this season, I didn't feel like that was the case. I mean, it felt like he just slotted in really well, playing alongside Tim Okita and Paul Lally in the backfields. Like, none of them dominated touches in that game. They were all between 30 and 35 completions. You know, it wasn't one of Nethercut's, like, 50 to 60 completion games where it's, like, literally just him versus the defense. And, yes, he was the guy, like, you know, looking towards Anzone more often than not and really showing off his, his full arsenal of throws. Like, there's no doubt he still has the talent that, allowed him to be MVP in 2017 but it it felt like he he wasn't he wasn't there as just like the the ball hog dribbler you know facilitating every possession it did feel pretty balanced and the growlers in general have been a team this year where there's not really one guy that dominates touches every game like we see Dunn and Goose each log about you know 20 to 30 completions per game uh Lally and Okita are usually right around 32 so it feels like this offense is a pretty distributive offense even Lior Gaval has gotten more involved as a thrower in recent weeks um it does raise the question like where are these touches gonna go like where where are Nethercut's touches gonna be taken from if he plays on the O-line with all these guys and that's a very valid concern I mean I I don't know for sure if he's going to play on the offense, but I would be hopeful and optimistic if he does play on the offense. He is, like he has the talent where he could just slot in as a contributor wherever they need him to be. And like, yeah, he could we could find himself or we could find him shooting a lot, like if they need him to be in that role. But also it feels like he can kind of he can kind of mold himself to the offense rather than the offense molding around him. I mean, that is the vibe I got from <laughs> the one game sample size we have of him in a Growlers uniform. So it definitely, it's an interesting decision to activate him for a playoff game when he's literally only played one game with the team all season. But like you said, I mean, he is just that level of talent that it's hard to say no to that if he's available. But I know you have your concerns and and they're valid. I just... You know, I, I'm like, like taking a breath before I go ahead and just reveal my full red baboon <laughs> butt here, and like, because I'm gonna, I'm gonna take pundit brain on full scale here, and 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 just be honest, like I had, I had an almost visceral reaction when you told me that Nethercut was active on this roster, <laughs> and again, like you, you are absolutely right in every single point that you make, like. Nethercut is probably one of three to five players who I can think of off the top of my head who just, you say their name and it's like, yep. You, you know, like, <laughs> right, Jack Williams, right. anywhere, yep. Like, John Nethercut, yeah. anywhere, yep. Like, Rowan exactly. McDonald, anywhere, absolutely. What are you doing with him? He's a puller only and he jazzes up everyone on the sideline, MVP level insertion. You know, like, I do believe yeah. Nut is at that level of talent. Like you say, it, it you don't necessarily have to bend the system to him. He's so talented. You can kind of let him figure it out as he goes along. Um, there are three concerns that I have with it. One you've kind of already touched on, which is plugging him into a lineup that already kind of has like a high volume identity with Goose and Dunn and Okita and Lolly. Where do touches come from when you insert a person like Nethercut 
into that offensive rotation as we're kind of hyperbolizing here or, or making a hypothet- hypothetical, I should say. Um, mm-hmm. that's, that's one concern. Another concern I have is that one thing that we've seen kind of play out this season is that talent isn't the determining factor so much anymore. It, it's, it's really like cohesion, chemistry, mental edge, sort of practicing together. I mean, I think Austin really set that tone with their win in week two over Dallas, where we everyone thought that Dallas would just kind of cakewalk over that game. And here comes a soul who have been practicing as hard and training as hard as anyone has all offseason, and they get the upset. You know, and, and we've seen a bunch of instances like that, I think, throughout the season where the team that's been a little bit more together, that's had more lineup consistency, that is that has kind of gone through the rigors of the regular season as a unit, like those teams have persevered really well. Um, yeah, well, and on the flip side, like Dallas not having had that preseason practice time, like it really showed really throughout the first <laughs> chunk of the season. Yeah, right. And now they're getting that because they it's sort of like the, the injuries and everything made them have to simplify their roster and what they were doing. And now they have that foundation and now they sort of look like a Dallas team that we expected them to come into 2021 as they're, they're rounding into form for sure. Right. I I digress. The, the, the third point about another cut is just that I, it's, 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 I talked to you about this before. It's something that I've been noticing throughout the season. I don't know that this Growlers team, for all of its talent additions that they picked up and free agency and everything, all of those guys are very much talent boosters compared to previous Growlers rosters. I don't know that I like this San Diego team more than I did the one in 2019. And I think that's because, again, going back to that 2019 Growlers roster, that was homegrown. They had built that team up from about four seasons prior when they had tried again in 2014 with Jimmy Mickle, Kirk Gibson, and Joshua Ackley, they tried to do the free agent overhaul. We're going to bring in out-of-market talent, and it, it didn't work out. And so the Growlers kind of went back to the, the drawing board, you know, built up all this great SoCal talent. You know, you talk about Travis Dunn, Tim Okita, uh, Dom Leggio, Stephen Milardovic, like, these are all dudes who have been playing in that part of California their entire careers. And you could see them kind of take that pride out on the field for the Growlers. And speaking of like Milardovic, he's been playing out of his mind the back half of the season. He's got four straight games, oh, yeah. three blocks or more. And two of those are game saving blocks uh, against um, Austin and Seattle at home. He, he's got like multiple assist games. He, he, you know, he's rounding into his 30s and he's playing the best ultimate of his career uh hats off to that guy but again i'm getting off on a tangent i just san diego is right now middle of the pack and scoring they're averaging 20.5 points per game that is like three points a game lower than what they were averaging in 2019 when they had one of the most efficient offenses in the league mm-hmm. and it just it doesn't feel like the sum is greater than its parts right now you know what I mean? Like, that's how it felt yeah, in San Diego definitely. in 2019. It was like, sure, like, they just kind of have done as, like, the true star or goose, but, like, every other piece of that offense fits together, right? It's it's like how DC has been this season where we looked at the roster early and we were like, you know, they have Rowan and who? And it's like, it 
it doesn't matter if they don't have other stars if the other six players know their role to a star level. Like that's how the Growlers are playing in 2019, and like the Growlers are very talented this year. They could go to the championship game. They could even catch fire now and and win three straight and just win the whole dang thing. But given how they played all season, they're inconsistent, and and their offense is not where it's been. And and I just wonder if putting another star into an already star stud to line up like is that is that the solution given that that's kind of what they tried to do already this year and and I would say that their offense maybe because it's still transitioning maybe because they're still working in those newer pieces isn't isn't as you know finely tuned as it was in 2019 yeah I will say they have reached 20 plus goals in each of their last five games I believe uh, they've hit 24 goals twice this season. Once was their most recent game against San Jose, uh, where the D-line, led by Milardovic, converted 10 of 11 breaks. They were just phenomenal and dominant in that game. Uh, and But the other 24-goal game the Growlers had was the Nethercut game, the one game he played where they were missing all those guys. But yeah, I don't disagree. You have completely valid concerns about too much star power on one line like i too many i cooks. really don't just too many cooks like it like, is and it, it puts a ton of pressure on on the coaches like i really don't know how you optimize that and and the fact that you have to optimize that with like no no prior knowledge of how these guys will play together like this is a one game it's it's do or die right now and like you don't have a game to play around with rotations like this is right. it like you just have to <laughs> somehow get it right and i don't know i i sort of lean towards the safest option being to put nethercut on the d-line pair him with michael tran on the counterattack. like that feels like a good idea but also we saw what he did on offense in that la game and it's really hard to deny that that level of play from a star handler a former mvp like it's tough i really don't know what the best solution is but I'm optimistic based on what I saw in that, and of course our one game sample size, it does feel like he he should be able to slot in uh, where they need him to or where they decide he should be. And, you know, maybe when it gets late in the game, that's that's the other thing. Like when it gets late in the game, who do you kind of go to as your your stars, like your your go-to guys in crunch time? That That's like an entirely other <laughs> discussion. Like I feel like we've seen it be Goose and Dunn. We've seen, honestly, we've seen like Lior Gaval and obviously Milardovic on defense step up in those in those big spots. But yeah, like it's hard to it's hard to deny Nethercut the disc when the game is on the line. So, and again, I'm gonna put my baboon butt out there with this. But like, so you're so so then Nethercut is that guy. He's played one game for them. Like how how do you? How do you, I know. I, I know that it's nethercut. So it's like, again, it's kind of the like exception to the rule, but it's like, it just feels like a remarkable gamble as the 10 win home team going with the chance to go back to back to championship weekend, defeat a Dallas team that has been the most winning franchise since it entered the league in 2016. Uh, what, like again, like the problem with San Diego this year has never been their talent. Like we went into this year talking about, other than Dallas, they had the best offseason probably of anybody. Um, it, it, 
just again like so who do you go to at the end of the game it already felt kind of like San Diego had a plethora of options which can almost be a problem in itself you kind of see it with Raleigh almost where they're they're so spread offensively in their talent that it works really well at the beginning of games and then at the end of games it's kind of like well who do we go to in this situation <laughs> right, right I worry There's about no that now with San Diego guy. it's like so who takes over at the end of games is it Okita who's your you know I would say probably most consistent decision maker yep. and thrower in that lineup the past two seasons. He's been definitely amazing in the red zone. Like I, I struggle to think of three handlers. I would want to just run red zone sets through more than Okita. The combination of his decision-making his lefty throwing ability and, and his bag of throws. Like he just, he punches it in and he gets it done. But speaking of done, You've got Travis Dunn, who's been an MVP (laughs) finalist for like three straight years, you know, and like, how do you deny that guy? He continually shows that he can make plays in the moment, too. But then you also have Goose, who is a two-time MVP and was crucial down the stretch in that win against Dallas in week four. And then you also have Paul Lally, who's new to the system this year, but has shown also an ability to rise and clutch. You know, like, it's just you're four players deep and you're asking, well, but which one do we go to late? And maybe San Diego has a better idea than I do. They should, you know, like I'm probably <laughs> talking out of a, a lower orifice here. Yeah, uh, I hope they do. Yeah. But, but I'm just, you know, it, it raises, like I said to you earlier, it just, the Nethercut signing is one of those things that it raises more questions than it solves. And that's perplexing to me. You know what? I just, as we've been talking about it, I've been thinking like what, what I would do with Nethercut and the whole situation. I'm kind of thinking you just move Goose to more of a downfield cutter role. Just like get him away from the backfield and let Nethercut fill that void. Is that, does no, that make it, sense? It, that makes total sense. The problem is, is that Goose has been in the backfield this season. You know, like <laughs> right. he, he's less downfield, I think, than he's ever been. I know. I I, I feel th- like I still think that he could do that, but it's just again, it's like you're you're asking players to play in roles that they haven't been in all season. It just yeah. I mean, this whole game kind of has to be an experiment almost, which is not it's not Why the time to experiment. That? Yeah. <laughs> no, it's it's not the time. I agree, but I don't know. I see the whole thing is just high risk, high reward. I, I could see Nethercut fitting in very well and just like being yeah, his usual I mean, Nethercut self. But I'm yeah, so I mean, it, to just eat crow on this. Like, <laughs> for oh, sure. I'm doubting John Nethercut. Like, I'm an right. idiot. Like, <laughs> yeah, but. I don't know. I, it's tough. I, I don't envy the, the coaching decisions that. And I wonder if there will be like mid game adjustments. Like, maybe they start off doing something. I will say the one. The other optimism I I have is just thinking back to the 2019 All-Star game when you have that many talented players playing on the same field together. And despite the fact none of them had ever played together, like that was one of the best games of Ultimate in AUDL history. Uh, Just how seamlessly everyone fit in, just everyone being a good, you know, great Ultimate player. uh, It didn't feel like it mattered. Like they just kind of built chemistry up over the game. I so there there is some element when you just have enough talent on the field together, things can click. Uh, not a guarantee, of course, but again, just just more more optimism I would have 
uh, for for Growlers fans if Nethercut is just slotted in among all these other stars. Okay, and so kind of flipping over to the other side, guys, we're not even really going to get into some of the meat of these matchups. It's almost like we need to do like a part two tomorrow or something. Cause, we could, but, yeah. Because the part other big news item for this West Division Championship game is that Kyle Henke's back. Kyle Henke had wrist surgery or whatever like four weeks ago. Every every report was that he's a, he's having season-ending <laughs> Uh, wrist surgery. He's done after he closed out the last four games of the cast and play it out of his mind and kind of helped spark this roughnecks playoff run after their two and three start. Um, what like I I think it's almost like for me like I had the reverse response and Henke's back. Like he's been such <laughs> a clear galvanizing rod for that team. Yeah, and now they oh, get I love him it. back as the rest of that roster is getting healthy. I I was told by um. Ian Toner this morning and talking with him for a second, the commentator for this weekend's games, he's close friends with Dalton Smith and Dalton had told him that he's feeling his best this season. Granted this season, not peak Dalton, but this season that he's sure. felt going into this matchup. So they're getting the healthiest Dalton. Dallas is getting the healthiest Dalton they've gotten all season. They're getting Hanky back. And like Hanky at this point has acquitted himself of like, any notion that he's going to have rust or something. I mean, the dude went out there and, and had, uh, what is it here? I'm looking at it. Uh, 12 goals in his final four games playing with a cast on his right hand or his left hand. I'm sorry. Um, you know, it, it's just, he, he, you, you could take another foot off too while you're at it. And I can still kind of trust Hanky to go out and get, I don't know, like 150 receiving yards and two scores. Like he just, Dude's, yeah, dude's a dog. Like he's just a competitor. Like he's just gonna go out there and do stuff. Like, <laughs> and his I'm last like, game, the last game he played was against three, San Diego. Three, three Hell yeah, the three 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 game. Yeah, he just goes off. You know, easily player of the game. It's his cast send off game. Now I he do wonder. What it, he had that. He had that layout. Oh, that wow. block was ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, he's like what four days away from going onto an operating table and he's laying out with his <laughs> casted hand to get the block on a deep space huck. Like I forgot what it was. Does he, I think he lays out with his, he deflects it with his non cast, but still manages to like land in a way where he doesn't land directly on his cast. Like, you know, he's clearly cognizant of it, but also clearly still doesn't care to throw like whether or not he throws his body around. Like he is just, that much of a competitor where he's willing to do whatever a cast can't stop him no so they get they get hanky back dalton's feeling healthier kai marshall is now rounding towards a healthier version of himself and when kai marshall's healthy he's a top three defender in the league like flat oh, out. yeah i mean we saw what he did against san diego in the 2019 semifinals. He, like, had the, he had the best playoff performance from a defender my gosh team. He has yeah, five blocks too. against the Growlers, who two, entering that game, okay, so like the, the stats got wonked after that. Entering that game, they were the number one scoring offense in the league. After that game, they got knocked down just enough so that LA overtook them. And mm-hmm. it's almost singularly due to Kai Marshall's five block performance, where like four of those were in the end zone. Including Half of them were layouts. Yeah, the, they were like everyone was a highlight. That Travis Dunn throw where he he had one of the blocks of the season where he just. Uh, I loved that throw too when it went off. Like it just throw. looked, it looked so good to streaking Sean Ham and 
Kai just has so much length and explosiveness. Man. It's his explosiveness when he gets that track on the disc. And so now yeah. Dallas gets to add one more of those type of defenders to a lineup that already has been their backbone this season. Like the Roughnecks D line have said a few times, like they're why Dallas is in the playoffs. Like Roughnecks sure. have been going through it this season. They've had <laughs> tons of absences due to injuries and all sorts of other stuff. The D line has been relatively intact, you know? Yeah. Um, so now they get Kai Marshall to go along with Matthew Armar, who's been playing really well. Zach Marbach is back, their captain, and he made amazing plays for them in the Austin game, their last regular season game. He's mm-hmm. back. They got Hunter Taylor, who everyone should know from highlights from the past five years, who now has one of the best <laughs> hammer throws. I love um, it. And then, and then probably their two best defenders this season, uh, Ben Lewis and Mason Wunsch, Griffin Miller. I mean, this is a this They're is loaded. a good defense, you know. And it, uh, according to their active roster, it looks like Abe Coffin is back too, who also broke his wrist earlier this season. Shout I, out Dallas Medical Squad. <laughs> seriously, I but I don't know. Do you feel like there? There's a similarity here between them and San Diego. Like it is just a ton of star power. They they haven't all played together. Like they haven't had this specific lineup in any game this season. They were close in that last game against Austin, but still no Henke, no Coffin in that game. I don't know. Is there? Do you feel like there could be some adjustments uh, to having like probably their their A roster for the first time all season? Yeah, but less than the uh, Growlers. You know, this is this is a pretty similar team in its core of 2019 and 18. You know, since there's kind of that like first era Roughnecks with Mickle and Bo and Cassidy and Freechild that sort of ended after the 2017 semis loss. And now there's mm-hmm. sort of been this new era. And while they still have a few leftovers from those championship teams, obviously Matt Jackson, Dan Emmons, uh etc etc the larbergs um it 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 feels like it's still dallas whereas like san diego like you look at their roster compared to 2019 there's a lot of different players you know petty john corbett yeah uh ruben it's probably like half lolly quackburn quackburner nethercut uh Cohen was on that team. Shackner, El Salam, you know, again, like half their lineup was yeah. not on that 2019 semifinals roster. That is not the case with Dallas. Quick, they're, they're quick really shout strong. out. Quick. Yeah. I, I give a quick shout out to Jordan Quickborner. I think that's probably the best name in the West Division. I don't think it's particularly close. Sorry. Continue. No. <laughs> You're allowed to shout out. Okay. So yeah. we're almost. 30 yes. minutes in, and we've talked about like two players <laughs> in this Dallas. I know SD there's a lot to cover. There's so much. We haven't even gotten to Minnesota, Chicago yet, which we both probably have even more emotional feelings on. Um, <laughs> wrapping up kind of tomorrow night's West Division game for now. Who do you got? Who are you taking? Uh I know we were talking earlier today, and when you saw the Nethercut signing, that makes you like Dallas even more. I I, I like, don't I like, like Dallas because again I know I know I stuff. 
You can't just throw sure. that out there I, into the airwaves. This is recorded now. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. I get it. No, it's nothing, <laughs> nothing wrong. I'm just saying I don't think I like Dallas anymore, but I don't think I, I don't think Nethercut swings San Diego any anywhere significant enough for me to to switch to them. So I, I'm gonna stick with Dallas. Um, I. I do feel like there is there are enough questions about the consistency of the Growlers lineup that that makes me a little more confident in a team like Dallas that does seem to be rounding into form um, and obviously took down Austin and in, in a pretty solid all around game by them. So you know Dallas by like a point probably I do think it's going to be an incredibly close game throughout and like like last time we saw them play in San Diego San Diego pulled it out in the last minute with like a couple clutch plays. So anything is possible. I expect a very close game, but when it comes down to it, I do just kind of lean towards the, the Dallas experience, the big game performances. Like this is a team that has never not been to championship weekend. And I just feel like that, that kind of sways me a little more than I lean San Diego. So I'm not confident, but I I am I would take Dallas. I just like that we've wound up this segment by both of us coming to the conclusion that adding John Nethercutt to your roster <laughs> is either a neutral or slightly diminishing prospect for your team. So it's it's just, a I I don't think I mean yes it's a neutral for me, but only because I think it's it's high risk high reward. So it's either like right. I'm, a I'm big net positive or a big net right. negative. Yeah, it's, just, I, be, it's impossible to know. We're supposed to be like the pundits, and we're sitting here being like, ah, I don't, I don't know about this another cut fella. He's got to prove himself out there. <laughs> no, but like, you know, Mike, De, Mike Denardis would agree with us. I mean, that's why he, he benched him for all wow, these same reasons. you just got to throw Mike D right under the bus. <laughs> what happened in that game for the Flyers? Well, I'm still, I still admire the decision. Like, that is, it's never difficult to choose to sit john nethercut but no. we'll see okay. we'll see what happens shifting gears slightly now to the central division matchup minnesota at chicago i think this is going to be one of those central division games that's not super clean but ends up being just crazy dramatic at the end um yeah i can see it I, like that's one way, or I could see Chicago's defense kind of putting the clamps on a Minnesota offense that frankly has not looked good the past month of the season. I know that Minnesota has won four in a row. They've won what nine of their last 10 um, and they do have a 10 win season, but the wind chill of any playoff team, I think I'm the least confident in. They just, I've been to two of their games live in the past month, and both those games, their their offense just didn't really show up. They didn't score a point in the fourth quarter on Sunday. I just yeah. There, yeah there's like there's, there's like a focus or or a verve missing from the wind chill right now. Their defense is playing pretty good, but like I don't know. I just I think Chicago has a chance to maybe roll them. Their their defense that Union defense is really good. They're going to be getting the best iteration of it this weekend. Um, they're getting all their top defenders, it looks like. I, Chicago I should, they should roll them, honestly. I mean, the, the last time, 
Well, they should win. They should beat the line. I think the line is Chicago by two. So I, I would expect them to win by three or more. I mean, the first time that they played this season, that was like the very beginning of the season when Chicago was playing those two home games, I think against Indianapolis and then Minnesota, like that was when they had their full, full lineups. And then I think after that, like we saw Graffy miss a chunk of the middle of the season. Jeff Robinson was out a couple of games. Like in that second Minnesota game, they were missing those two key guys on the D line. Um, but in that first game, they had like mostly their, their a roster and all their new additions and everything. And it really never felt like that close of a game. I mean, Chicago beat Minnesota 23 to 18 Minnesota actually won the second half. Like they, they did outscore well, Chicago in the second half, but it felt like the game was over by halftime. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. So I, yeah. And it just the way, like you said, Minnesota just kind of, They've just kind of stumbled into the, <laughs> the playoffs at this point. Like they haven't really had any dominant performances down the stretch. I mean, yeah, they they beat Detroit and Indy in two of the last three games, but before that, the Chicago game that they lost, then only beating Indianapolis by one, twenty plus turnovers in three of their last five games. It's just a very it's a very different looking team from when I think they peaked, which was when they beat Chicago in Chicago, and that game. Like the conditions weren't great and it felt like Chicago was struggling with them a lot more and Minnesota was just clicking everywhere on offense. Like there those three or four handlers that they were using just could do no wrong. Like they were just hitting all these open guys. Vote and Yurik both had great games. Like that felt like the peak of their offense, and I feel like we haven't seen them look that good since that game. And that was that was July twenty fourth. So you know, I just have more confidence in Chicago coming into this game. Like I, their last quarter that we saw from this like top lineup that they have was against Madison in that must-win game, uh, and you know we we saw their probably their best quarter of the season. Like I think they scored nine in that quarter. Like they really closed out the game. Peter Graffy was just on fire, switching a little back and forth between defense and offense. Like they just have they just kind of outplayed they outplayed the radicals they outplayed minnesota back in week 2 it's it's really just so much talent on this team that i feel like they they just overmatch whoever they play and so i i am expecting them to win by more than two goals in this game i'm going to agree with you generally but i'm going to pick a a slight contention on the there's so much more talented than the union i don't think that's actually the advantage that chicago has over minnesota that's clear i think it's mental i think the minnesota is actually pretty close to the union in terms of talent especially when you start talking about the back end of rosters minnesota's back end i i have a lot more faith in than chicago's i like chicago's frontline stars a lot more but Minnesota's, yeah. Minnesota's really solid in that middle part of their lineup. Like they, especially defensively, they have a lot of guys who can plug and play really, really well. Um, I, I think the difference is mental. You look at turnovers, like you were saying, like three out of the last five games, 20 plus turnovers for the wind chill. Chicago doesn't have performances like that this year, both offensively and defensively. They don't turn the disc over. They, they're first in the league in turnovers per game. They only give the disc up 13 times, you know, like I, and like stylistically Minnesota has trouble with that. They, their offense is chock full of, for lack of a better word, shooters. They're like the equivalent of an NBA team that likes to shoot threes 
when it's clicking and they're spacing and they're in rhythm, they look phenomenal as they did in that win at Chicago when there were elements and the windshield throwers were just able to shoot throws through it. Like they, I think they were set. I think I want to say seven of seven on Hawks in that game. Like, I don't think they missed up really anything quick. deep. Um, which one was that? I feel like a lot of that kind of puts the emphasis back on guys yeah, like were, Andrew Roy, who yeah, were seven, you know, are just in that game. You are correct. Yeah. Yeah. And like you said, I mean, with all these shooters, then you get a guy like Andrew Roy, who has just been, the rock in this backfield and i feel like it it puts a little more of an emphasis on that that style of play the more possession based just trying to match chicago in that way because i agree with you i mean chicago doesn't they just don't really turn the disc over much at all i think they have six games this season with less than 10 turnovers Um, when they make that a focal point like that that right 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 you talk to pavel you talk to people on that team coach dave woods like everything else is sort of amusing to them you know it's bells and whistles what they talk about is turnovers efficiency turnovers efficiency you know and you even see it how pavel now has his highest completion percentage as a passer in his four-year career you know like yeah i feel like most of the team probably does like i know ross barker is completing his most passes in a chicago uniform and it's funny like you watch chicago's offense it's pretty boring it's, yeah, you know, no, it's it, not very exciting. It, it reminds me a lot, actually, of kind of a 2018 radicals. You know, I mean, they pick up Peter and Pat, and lo and behold, they adopt some of those identities. But you know, they 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 <laughs> yeah. can strike deep if they need to, but they don't really look for that. Like they they obviously do. Like you were saying in that Chicago, the last Chicago Madison game, uh, Pavel had a couple of set play hooks to Ross that were just, oh yeah. Paul Paul Arders too has been Diamonds. phenomenal. For yeah. This oh team. man, Arder that flick hook of Arders might be the best in the division when he's. I love it. Working. It's it's so good, and it, it just is. comes out at such a high velocity. But like, they're they're not trying to do that all the time. They have no that. no they not. have that option, but they're not. They're a pick and roll team, you know, to kind of extend NBA metaphors here. You know, Minnesota's three point shooting. They want to spread you. They want to get the disc to Klain and Linehan into power positions and let them rip downfield to Bevon and Yurik and vote. Like that is that is the optimized version of Minnesota as they want to play. For Chicago, it's weave, you know? It's yeah. it's using that backfield of Pavel and Nico Lake and now with Shrywise and North sometimes cycling in there. And then using kind of the the high IQ versatility of Barker. And again, like Shrywise and even like Jack Shanahan, like he's pretty versatile for a big downfield um, and has been playing really well of late. You know, like Chicago isn't that much style. They're mu- they're much more substance. And then that kind of sets for up sure. for that, that defense that just gets after you. Man, their defense, I mean, this D-line, like Kurt Gibson, Vaughn, uh, Peter Graffy, Tim Shock, Jeff Robinson. Tim Schock needs to be talked about more. You know, like he's Nate he's, Goff. Like they, they're just absolutely loaded on defense. I don't know how anyone does anything against that. And then on the counterattack too. Sorry, go on about Tim Shock. Yes, I totally. Oh, I just, agree. I, you know, he's one of those players who it's hard given in a lineup where you have Vaughn and Swanson and Goff and Graffy and Kurt yeah. <laughs> dominating all the headlines. <laughs> Tim Shock is a rookie. 
played on U24, has a very good pedigree coming onto this Chicago team. He has 127 completions without a throwaway this year. You know, uh, he's got 10 assists, six goals, two blocks, but he's played, you know, majority, 101 of his 121 total points on defense. So he's not going to be getting numbers. But he had like a self Mac Callahan against Indy one game. Yeah. He's been playing really good lockdown handler defense. Uh, both times against Madison, he's kind of been the silent assassin. Uh, he in the two games against Madison in the middle of the season, he had five assists and over sixty completions without a turnover combined. You know, like when he gets a slightly expanded role, he's really good for them, and it just it kind of speaks back to that they have this this system that's so efficient that they can do that plug and play stuff. You know, kind mm-hmm. of kind of almost opposite of the problems that we were talking about with San Diego. Like San Diego's problems this season have been their inefficiencies especially in offense. Right. Chicago has sort of set up this system where it's like, we're just going to be efficient all the time. You know, like Pavel takes shots. Uh, Arters take shots. Shrywise can sometimes take shots. But other than that, people basically have a red light in that offense. And, and because of that, they can be a little bit more versatile, I think, in their lineups because they don't have to expect so much. Or, or maybe, maybe it's that it's so well-defined that people just feel more comfortable playing in it. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm all good points. I feel like the the D line in general just was not. They just didn't have the same personnel the last time they or not the last time they played Minnesota. Last time they played Minnesota at home, the one game Minnesota beat them. Like I know Graffy and Jeff Robinson were out that game. Uh, did Tim Shock play that game? I don't uh, think he. No. no, he did play that game. Uh, yeah. But Kirk Gibson definitely didn't play that game. So like those are. I don't know. Gibson, Graffy, and Jeff Robinson are three guys that can kind of run a counterattack along with Shock. But I feel like when it's just Shock back there, they they run into some issues. So I feel like just having having that group together and and really being able to punch in those breaks, I I just see Minnesota having a tough time competing with that. What would it take for Minnesota to win in your mind? Big Bevon I mean, game, Clayne returning to form. Defense. It's really, it's I, I just view the turnovers as like that. That's the only way they can keep pace with the Chicago team, and it, it's tough going against. Nate, sorry, sorry. Nate, Nate, Nate Goff, Vaughn, and Drew Swanson, who are gonna get their blocks. Like you're saying, Minnesota has to limit their own turnovers, not generate yes. more. Okay. Yes. Uh, yes. They need. I, I mean, you're speaking about Minnesota offense, or if their defense needed to be more. No, I, I I don't even know if there's much they can do about the Union offense. Like they they did really? a good job limiting they did a good job limiting Pavel in that game they played in Chicago, but I feel like that all kind of went out the window last time they played when Chicago went up to Minnesota. Like Pavel had a great game then. So obviously if you can limit Pavel, great. I just don't I don't see that really happening. Uh yeah, I feel like their their best bet is gonna just try to return to the form we saw from them kind of in that peak mid-season stretch where they they were doing a much better job limiting turnovers they were connecting on their hucks but not forcing them like like we said there was only seven hucks in that game they played against chicago but they completed all of them so like it wasn't like they were overly shooting deep i feel like they were doing a much better job of just taking advantage of those opportunities when they came up so yeah it's it's they just need a you know, and they and they're a team that can dominate possessions. So, like, if they're dominating possessions and not turning the disc over, 
Like that just that's going to keep the game close throughout. And then if they can make plays down the stretch, like we've talked about, they still have a great, talented defense. Like they got guys like Dylan DeClerc, Kittleson, like Colin Berry. All these guys can get blocks. Um, they they have the ability to make plays. So they're really they're just going to have to keep the game close by limiting turnovers throughout. I think Minnesota could have a chance to make this a game if they disrupt those couple of deep shots that Chicago likes to take take to keep things loose. Like if they if mm-hmm. they limit Chicago to just small ball and completing more passes, like they in Minnesota's win against Chicago, Chicago only completed four of nine hooks. I think if Minnesota's defense can again keep that huck number at five or less they might have a chance because because when Chicago gets that balance, that's when your, your defense. Yeah. Yeah. Like they they become less predictable in that way. They become they're, they're, yeah, they're much more versatile. They're, they're getting the disc out into space. You're not sure if you should pay attention to sort of their handler weave sets, or if you should be paying attention to backing the receivers. Whereas like you kind of saw when Madison played them well in back-to-back weeks, what they were able to do was, limit those deep shots and just make Chicago kind of like when we saw DC struggling a little bit with their offense for a few weeks, like only small ball. You don't get a huck it ever. We know exactly what you're going to do. Sure. You're going to be efficient, but you're not going to stretch us and you're not going to be dangerous to us. Like I, I could Mm -hmm. see Minnesota maybe, maybe being able to do that to the union, but I don't know. Pavel's playing so well. Barker's playing so, so well back on the offense. They just look, yeah. they, they look fluid. And again, they're one of those teams that like, they've been consistent. This lineup has been very consistent throughout the season. They know where their pieces fit. Both Chicago losses this season came when they only completed four hucks in the game against Madison, Minnesota. So there's definitely a, a good point there. I feel like Chicago is at their best when they can mix in those deep looks, but not depend on them. So We'll see. We'll see what happens. I don't know. If you're Minnesota, do you feel like... Is there anything you saw in the Minnesota-Chicago game when they came to Chicago? Uh, any major reason they were able to limit Pavel where they weren't able to do it the following meeting? I mean, they used a combination of Bivon and Jordan Taylor, I believe. Yeah, I think... Uh, I think and it felt like to... they just it didn't work the ne- the next time. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. I, I no, think you're fine. You have to rotate in two to three defenders who all have slightly different styles with how they want to play them. I think that's how Madison combated Pavel mm-hmm. pretty effectively. They threw Ranabot and KPS on him, who are two radically different defenders, but both very good in matchup. I think similarly, like you're saying, like they'll have to do something like that with, you know, whether it be Taylor and Bivon or McCutcheon or even trying Barry, I think, for a couple points and seeing if his length can sort of give Pavel yeah. problems on the mark. I think I think you just have to be a little bit open to experimenting if one matchup doesn't work. You know, you get... Pa- yeah. Like, one of my favorite descriptions I've heard ever with Pavel, and it's so true, was when uh, Madison had coached him to Bile was describing about how he's implemented his defenses against Pavel versus historically how he implemented them against Ashlyn Joy, ostensibly the two best throwers that Madison's defense has faced over the years. Maybe Tyler mm-hmm. DiGiralmo in there as well. But um, 
Debao described Joy as being kind of this artist who's going to figure out ways around the wall. He's going to go over it. He's going to tunnel under it. He'll, you know, he's, he's clever with it. Pavel's going to figure out how to punch your wall down. You know, he's not going to be <laughs> subtle with it. He's going to find whatever point is weakest and just smack at it until he can get through. And, and I love that. Like that is so yeah. true about his play style. That's like, accurate. The, the way he paces stuff with his legs, the way he just kind of, when he's in rhythm, just he's insistent. There, there's a, there's a, there's just like a tension with the way he plays. That's so good for offenses. He just puts defenses on heels and like, mm-hmm. I, I just, I don't know that Minnesota has a defense to really deal with that. And I don't know, again, going back to kind of that mental edge thing, like I just think Chicago has that insistency, that ability to dictate, you know, that we always get back to like Giannis has that. And, and until you can take away his ability to dictate, like I think the union are going to win this year. And that, yeah. that might extend into championship weekend. <laughs> right. He is, he is a very tough guy to stop. But yeah, Minnesota and Madison both were able to do it in those two union losses. So we'll see. I, I do feel like if Pavel has a good game, I, like I don't see Chicago losing. I don't, I don't see Chicago losing otherwise, but uh, like that, that does kind of feel like uh, Minnesota's best chance. If they can limit Pavel, they'll have a great shot. Oh, and final shout out for the episode. We should have done this way earlier. Um, obviously, we have our two AEDL games this weekend, the two big playoff games. It's also the Canadian Cup matchups as well. Montreal has clinched for the Canadian Cup championship game, and Ottawa will clinch with another win or a Toronto loss. Toronto has to win out their last three games in order to even make it. Mm-hmm. Um, there are two rescheduled this games this weekend, but also, importantly, it is the Premier Ultimate League's Midwest Division Championship bracket this Saturday and Sunday. Hart Park, Milwaukee, if you can get out there in Wisconsin. Tickets are available on the Premier Ultimate website, on the Milwaukee Monarchs uh, social channels, uh, Monarchs MKE. Uh, if you're looking for those things, just want to give out a, a real big plug to Professional Women's Ultimate in general. Uh, the PUL is... This is their second of three championship series this fall. Please go out and support them. They're amazing, amazing games. Uh, And just as someone who organizes and and does stuff with game day events, Daniel and I can speak on behalf. It it is so hard and it's just awesome watching people go out and try and put on good shows of professional ultimate. So please go and support Midwest Championship PUL Ultimate this weekend. Um, If not in person, you can find the streams available online for free to watch. Um, But other than that, AUDL playoffs, baby. Let's go. Go Monarchs. Go Monarchs.